First podcast ever. Woohoo! Obviously, been, uh, it's not something on your mind. It's been coming on for a year or two now because you're so experienced in the, in the real estate world. It's a great way to you promote yourself as well as your team. So just quickly, just explain to everyone who you are as a person and as a real estate agent. As a person, I'd say I'm a passionate, energetic, um, fun, knowledgeable mom of dogs and kids. And oh, I should probably say kids first. Um, and uh, majorly into our family, you know, my extended family, our life, etc. Like, I, and like to do sports and get outdoors and sit on patios and uh, eat at good restaurants. Does that about cover it? No, I think that about sums you up completely. <laughs> and then just a bit more about your experience um, before real estate. You know, what roles did you have before real estate? And how do you think those really kind of shaped your processes in real estate and what you do today? Okay, well, I think... Um Having a psychology degree, I think, is kind of interesting because obviously it really has nothing to do with real estate, but then it also has everything to do with real estate because so much of what you do is, uh, it's, it's a big emotional purchase for people. So there is a lot of um, kind of hand-holding through what is a stressful process for a lot of people. So that was sort of an accidental transition, but in reality, what I did more for the 17 years prior to getting into real estate I, well, actually, 20 years before getting into real estate, I was a national sales director for a golf company. And so I sold sporting goods to clients all over the country, to big dick sporting goods, sports authority guards, et cetera. And then um, I also worked in the health club industry as a public relations director of marketing and sales. So I think how that all transitioned into real estate is helping to understand what clients want, what's important to them how to make a process smooth for people from beginning to end, how important it is to take away the stress for people because that's the thing that keeps, like in the sporting goods industry, that's what kept buyers from buying, was if it was too stressful, they didn't know where to begin, so I would come in and write up the offers for them, help them with the display, and, uh, and say, so we're going to set it up with all of your stores, and they thought, oh, this is great, I'll, I'll do that, and that's what's kind of tried to transfer that over to real estate, which is, we'll tell you from beginning to end how to do it, we'll advise on every step of the process, and then we've got connections to help you through um, any problem solving that's needed. I think, I think you told me once when you went to these, these big stores and other salespeople kind of faltered is that they try to sell the bag. Right. They try to tell all the features about that bag or that piece of, that, that piece of equipment or clothing. Right. Whereas you were very good about, hey, I can sell you the bag, but I'm going to talk about the numbers. Right. And those numbers really dictate what volume you're going to sell, if you're going to sell it in your stores. And do you think that's kind of then transgressed into what you've done with real estate, with some investment properties, and you can really pinpoint what the client needs and what they should be looking for, both residential as well as the kind of the investment portfolios as well for other clients? Yeah, I think so. Actually, you bring up a good point. That is one of the things that I feel like we do very well, both me as an individual agent and then our team in general. One thing we really try to focus on is making sure that the numbers make sense for our clients. So we are very, very versed in each neighborhood um, and what the, the price per square foot should be, whether it's finished nicely or not finished, what they can get for it if they buy it at a lower price, and then we put some finishes into it, and also for investments. It's more about the numbers and investments. Are they gonna make are they gonna make the cash flow that they need that they would do better in real estate than they would in the stock market? So you're right, it has sort of turned into taking some of those skills 
And instead of just saying, yes, we like this particular house, I really like this house, I like this, this color stove, this color paint, you know, all that can be changed. We want to make sure the numbers make sense for you both for now and then if you're going to go sell it in the future. So I want to protect your money and your investment. The thing that also goes on, so obviously the major items in your real estate portfolio are residential. Yeah. Do you think that's helped residentially as well? Like we, we can talk about the numbers with investment, that's a, that's a later podcast. Yeah. But I think now with such a competitive market in Denver, you know, are you you're able now through your past experiences, obviously what you've done with real estate, is to kind of really narrow the focus down on those residential clients of yours. Like there is such an emotional tie to that house. Yeah. But I think you've done such a good job yeah. of really narrowing down their focus of what they need to look at, whether that be in the inspection process or whether that be size of yard, lot size, you know, number of bedrooms, bathrooms, and what they look for in the house. Yeah, so, yeah, a little bit of both. So the first part of that is I do help them narrow that down, but I do, the first, the most important part is what is most important to them. So whether or not the yard is small for this area or big for this area only matters, well, one, for resale in the future, which will obviously figure into the numbers, but it mostly matters whether that's a priority for them. So if we've got a client who has the priority of a large yard, then obviously we're going to look in different areas. We're going to guide them to different areas than we would if someone doesn't care about the yard, but they want a particular location. So yeah, I think it all factors in. You have to, you have to take the emotions that they have and the must-haves and the things that are most important, and then I have to use that information and also kind of factor that in with, is this also a good investment for them? So I want to make sure that while it may emotionally feel right, they are educated as to whether or not this is a good investment for their future. So they get to ultimately make the choice, but I will definitely advise which of the things is most important to look at for future resale, depending also on how long they hold on to the property. But yeah, most important I think for, is what's important to them. And then after that, once I figure out what's important to them, then I figure out how to keep their needs in line with future resale. Ideal. Yeah. And then uh, you started back in 2010 in the real estate boom yeah. or absolute bust. Exactly. In the downturn of the market. I mean, did you think that adversity made you more hungry, more successful through the lessons you learned during that time period when you first started as compared to obviously now Denver, where you currently live in, you know, it's a very hot market as some may say. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you make a very good point on that. I don't know if it made me more hungry because... <coughs> I'm just hungry. That's just how I live my life. I hustle and I'm hungry and I like to do the best job that I can do for our family, for our clients. So I'm always hungry. But what I do think it did is I had to learn. I had to move fast. I had to learn people. I had to learn the market. I had to learn because the there wasn't much going on. So I had to sit back and say, all right, these properties aren't selling, what properties are selling? Okay, then I need to go learn as much as I can about those properties in that process. At that time, it was actually, I believe a third of the houses on the market at the time were HUD homes and foreclosure homes. So not only did I come into the market at a difficult time, but I came in and had to learn not only real estate, but how do you fill out the paperwork to do an online bid for a property when there's not even an agent involved and then had to learn boy, if we buy this property for 140000 how much is it going to cost to fix up all of these things that are wrong with this property? And so I had to learn that part of the process to help um, my clients. And so I think how that benefited all of us in the future is really learning 
how we could take a property from 140000 to a $300,000 property, that sort of construction and, and also making sure if they're buying it uh, as a HUD property, they, they sold those as is. So we had to really know in advance of buying that what expenses my clients were going to incur after the process. And well, I think so, that, yeah. you think that now, that, that great knowledge you, you had to attain, you had to learn, you had to really sink your teeth into has really progressed you now because now you can go, okay, I dealt with the poor times, I dealt with the rough times, I can still use those same lessons in everything I do nowadays. Oh, Even yeah. though the market's changed, yep. there are still people, still your clients who are looking at flips, they're looking at great investment properties. What's the next best area to move into, whether that's here in Denver, whether that's around the country? You know, but you've got that experience because you were there, as I said before, like during those kind of rough times, those down times in the market, but then you were able to have those clients still make their money and now they've turned into basically life lifelong clients of yours you know for the rest of your life and the rest of your real estate career well yeah i think that's a great point in fact i could if i could think of the last 10 closings i've had in the last month or two <clears throat> i would have to say probably seven or eight of them have come from the early years whether it's their second or third property or a friend of theirs or a family or their 28th property yeah. <laughs> well yeah in some cases they're 30 some property they're 33rd or whatever um so yeah i think when you are competing for a very, very, very limited pool of dollars, um, you have to get better. You have to be good. You have to be better than everybody else out there. So you make a good point. So if there were, you know, 2,000 houses available to sell and buy and not very many clients, but the same amount of real estate agents, we all are competing for that very, very, very limited dollar volume. And so for me to not starve yeah, I had to become much better than I would have if I had just entered the market a year or two ago when people were, things were just selling left and right. And I think that's also it's a great lesson for, for people trying to get into the market now as a real estate agent. You know, everybody looks at that kind of great commission check at the end, but it's really the process of how you get there. Unless you have that knowledge that you've gained through your years of doing it, you know, that you had to struggle a little bit. You know, that adversity, I think, really leads to people's strengths in the long term. You know, if it's just given to people, then they don't really progress. I think you've a perfect example of you've dealt with that adversity, you've dealt with those struggles, you've dealt with different clients, and now you now you can use all those experiences moving forward. Right. So anything I learned during those years, obviously, it applies. It applies in, and it again, applies today, it applies tomorrow, and it apply next year. Whether the market keeps on rising as it does in Denver next, you know, eight to twelve percent as they predict this year, or yeah. it just takes a takes a dive, then you've got that experience again and you won't be the ones who are kind of like, I need to find another job. Exactly. That's, I plan on uh, being in this for the next 30, 40 years, partially because of the way I spend. <laughs> um, but anyway, that aside, uh, I plan on being in this for a long time because it's something that I do very, very well and I take my job of helping clients, protecting their investments and advising them very seriously. So every single experience, we did 50-some deals last year, just, just me not including the team, and so every single one of those has something new that comes up that my resources that I've gained over the years and problem-solving abilities, abilities have made a huge difference in getting us successfully and smoothly to closing so many times. Where and, and that's I get phone calls from agents all over the city that I've worked with on deals in the past and even from everyone on our team calling and saying, oh my gosh, this came up, what's a good way to solve it or where do I start? So I... I so really, like, you're a great resource, not only for your clients, but for other agents. Yes. And I think that being resourcefulness for everybody 
really helps them be, feel more comfortable, more educated in what probably is their biggest investment they've ever going to put in their life. Yeah, and I think they all know that I'm, um, I continue to stay around after the sale. So I think that's another thing that I would like other agents to really remember because we have a resource list of whether it's tree trimming or housekeepers or where to get our hair done and whatever it is, the amount, of, yeah, yeah, the amount of uh, text messages that I get on a daily basis from past clients. Um, so we continue to be their home resource and their life resource long after the closing and I think that's key to the 30, 40 year relationship. So then moving on to that, um, why does Denver appeal from a, a real estate perspective? You know, what kind of sets that out from you going, okay, I, I need to move to Chicago, I need to move to New York or LA, or I need to go to Aspen or Boulder. Like what really sets Denver apart? Apart from the fact you live here, you've moved your whole family here basically. Um, but what, what do you think are the kind of three to five main areas of why Denver is really the, the hot real estate market as it is today? Uh, I think, uh, actually, I think that the main reason Denver is so hot and it has been discovered is because the weather and the economy. So I guess that's two reasons, but it's sort of combined because you can't, if you have good weather but not a good economy, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, so we've got this incredible weather, although not really so much this year, but short. Su- well, not 97 okay. degrees outside 97 today. and sunny and blue skies is my dream weather. So today it looks good, but the last eight months with all sorts of clouds and rain and snow are not the typical Denver weather. So I think the 300 plus days of sunshine combined with the 2.8% unemployment rate, which is the lowest unemployment rate of any large city in the country. Um, the, I think that Governor Hickenlooper, or former Governor, Governor Hickenlooper, who is now running for president, I just saw him on the debates last night, he was actually pretty good. They didn't give him much time though, but um, he did a really good job forward thinking both with the Denver International Airport, with the infrastructure for a city our size to have sort of the light rail system and the road construction and a lot of the things that they've been working on are things that you would see in a bigger city. We went from, I think, number 50 to number 22 in city size in about a two-year time frame. And so I think they did a really good job anticipating that. We still have some traffic issues, but we have all sorts of solutions that are upcoming for those. So, so with that, the job income, also, DI is, is, I think, is one of the most, is the busiest domestic yep. airport in the country, yep. um, which is massive, I think. No. Does, do you think that brings foreign investment in? Do you think that brings also like domestic income into the city with continued job growth, population growth, you know, that all has to tie in yeah. to why Denver is becoming a hotter real well, estate yeah. market as compared to a Chicago, as compared to other metropolitan cities that are seeing populations leave the cities yeah. and get more into the suburbs. You know, Denver's spreading yeah. because house prices are rising, so people have to find, you know, you tell me about that. You're the expert in this, in this yeah. market. What, you know, what attracts more people to live in the neighborhoods in Denver? Is it the history, of the, is it the history, is it the jobs, is it the income levels, is it the weather? Is it all that combined that people say, oh, I want to move to Denver, as well as you know, the huge infrastructure outside in the mountains where you can go have a great time in the mountains? I think, that's, I think, that's, I think it's all of it combined for certain. I think uh, a lot of big companies have moved their headquarters here because of some tax breaks. We have also a diversified economy. So there was a time when we sort of went bust in the 80s here, and that was because our economy was more gas and oil. Now we've got gas and oil, we've got tech, we've got aerospace, we've got a multitude, we, North Face is moving here. 
um, you know, big gas and oil companies did come back in. So with all of the diversity that we have, if one industry sort of goes down, it doesn't crash the whole economy. So I think the diversity of economy has helped a lot. And I do think because of the amount of people or quantity of people that are moving here, there still is a scarcity in housing. So the prices are going up. We're spreading out a little bit. Um, so that's, that's sort of a negative, but at the same time, it makes for a bustling economy where we're getting these great restaurants. We're getting, you moved here from uh, having lived in Chicago and Boston and always complained that we didn't have all these cute neighborhoods. Now you're seeing these cute little neighborhoods coming up with little restaurants and little pockets that people in that neighborhood can walk to. So I, again, I think we're going from a small city to a big city, but I think we have a lot of Midwestern transplants. Um, and I think that makes it have kind of a small town feel in terms of the people, but with the big city activities and the ability, like you said, to just go right up to the mountains. I mean, we can go on a hike and, and be in the beautiful foothills in 20, 25 minutes from right here in the center of town. That's huge. You wouldn't want to go on a Saturday morning or come back on a Sunday afternoon, but if you can avoid any of those things, it's it's perfect and easy. And just That's the thing. It's still there. small enough where you can still, it's still accessible. You still get to the foothills in 20 minutes, yep. 30 minutes. You can still get to the mountains obviously traffic dependent and weather dependent, you know, within an hour and a half, you yeah. know, you can get to Steamboat, you can get to Aspen, but you can always come back to Denver as a hub and you can still fly everywhere. I know when I lived in Chicago, you know, I think every flight I had out of O'Hare one, one year was delayed. Yeah. You know, we don't have those, we, yes, we do have weather issues here, but they're not as great as other parts of the country, not as great as the, you know, the Northeast, you know, obviously the West Coast is very different. You know, we got a lot of transplants on the West Coast come to Denver. Yeah. Because obviously our market is a lot less than what it is in California, yeah. but people want to come here because of the weather. And obviously the jobs are huge. If you don't have a job, you can't afford it. That's what, I, that's what I was saying when you had mentioned the weather as one of the things. I was saying, yeah, weather's great, but if, like in California, which is fun and it's got beautiful weather, but it can be cost prohibitive and we're not yet at that point. Not good wood. So that leads me on to the next kind of point here is, um, how have you seen the market change in your time in real estate? And where do you think it's going to go in the next five years? Uh, I mean, it's changed drastically. It's not even the same market. As we said, when I started nine years ago, it was a third of the properties were HUD, foreclosure homes. Uh, the average price, I think, at the time when I started was 218000 Now our average price in Denver is 535000 So obviously it's more than doubled in price. The I believe when I started, the inventory was very high. Last year was our lowest inventory. Last year, there was a point where we reached 2,900 homes in the Denver metro area. Now, everything we've been talking about, you can imagine that 2,900, no matter what you know about numbers, you can know that 2,900 is not enough for the people coming into Denver. So they talk about a balanced market. Right, 24,000 yeah. is a balanced market. So six months yep. about a balanced market. Yep. Buyers and sellers, there's a seller's market, yep. there's a buyer's market. Yep. You know, we can talk about where Denver is currently and where it's going to go you know, with the market stats, but... Currently, when we say a balanced market is at six months, we're at about a month and a half. So we are still a seller's market. Yeah. So a year ago, it was so off balance that it was almost like that. I always used to kind of liken it to Flow's name your price tool on a, what is that? Oh, progressive. A progressive yeah, insurance. Yeah. I would always sort of liken it to that because a year ago, sellers could almost <laughs> ask for any price. And just because they had a house, people would try to get it. Um, now we're at closer to 6,900 homes. 
that sounds like a huge increase, but it isn't because it is the simply... The influx of people coming in. Yeah, the people coming people in. People want to buy. Yeah, and 24000 is a balanced market. So 6900 still makes it a seller's market, but it's they no longer have that option of the name your own price tool. They have to price fairly. If they don't price fairly, they're going to actually lose money in the long run because as soon as the house gets stale in this market, people think something's wrong with it and they don't buy. So you price it right, it's still to your advantage. You price it poorly, you're going to sit until you get to the right price and then you're going to only have one bid and you're going to end up losing 3 to 5% versus had you priced it correctly. So again, seller's market, but the sellers still have to be more fair. And where do you think, in your crystal ball, I know you have one. I do, I do. Right. Well, do you, do you forget to bring your, it? It's probably in your cup of tea, which you, you have about 12 a day. Where do you see this going in the next five years? Do you think it's going to stabilise? Do you think, that's everybody's question. Yeah. You know, everybody's going, it can't continue. It can't continue, Laurie. Like this is, it is simply, this growth in, in the real estate market in Denver cannot continue. Do you think it will? And the growth rates? And why, do you think it's because of all the areas you put forward before, the weather, the economy, job, great, you know, job growth, sorry, income growth, amount of people who want to move here because of the jobs, because of the greater infrastructure. Do you see that keep increasing? That was a long question. I missed the first part. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yes, I think over the next few years, that, uh, again, what I keep trying to explain to people who, the bubble is the thing that I get the most. And uh, so when I try to explain the bubble to people, because we had that huge crash in 2008, um, and that was a bubble. And what that came from was a lot of uh, loan fraud. The regulations were a lot lesser than they are now. Uh, appraisers could basically appraise for whatever the person wanted it to appraise for so they could have the cash. So it was a very different, that bubble was created by things that weren't real. Now what we're seeing with this increase is a small city growing into a big city. And so what it is now is not a bubble, but it is simply growth. And so do I see it growing at the pace that it's been growing the last two or three years? I don't think so because we have to slow down a little bit just because traffic is becoming... There's, there are some things where we've sort of outgrown where we are and we need to sort of take a little bit of a break and, and pause and maybe we're not going to be growing at this level, but I still think we're going to be growing at this level. So maybe when we were seeing increases of 10 to 20% a year, it's going to be more in the uh, range of 5 to 9% in different neighborhoods. So Again, still a great, a great area, still, great market to move into. Yeah, still a great market. It's still, if you buy now, you're still going to... A lot of people have this, I'm going to buy in a year when the prices go down. I, I mean, again, I don't actually have a crystal ball, which I know will shock a lot of people who know me. I don't have one, but it, it's, it's, I, it, unless something big happens and we get into some sort of a war, we shouldn't go backwards. And even if we do, it'll be very limited because, again, we're going from small city status to big city status. And that's, that's what we're seeing with Denver right now. Perfect. And then uh, this is going to be a good question. Oh, God. What areas do you specialize in? Is there one area and you've gone, okay, I'm going after the half million to 750. I'm going after the million plus. Like, what do you specialize in? If you don't specialize, why don't you specialize in a certain area? Okay. Um, yeah, that is an interesting question. Uh, I'd say I've gotten more specialized over the years. I think the first few years, it was just hustle. Whatever anybody wanted. You want a warehouse? I'll find you a warehouse. You want investment? We'll get that. You want a $2 million home? All right, I'll find you one. 
So one thing I am very good at is research. So I can price a home that's not even in my area better than most people who live in the area because I'm very, very analytical when it comes to what streets sell better, what does better, do people like this particular stove type, is that going to impact the price? So I have a very analytical way of looking at things. So I haven't always had to specialize because I can sit down for three or four hours and study something, drive over there, look around, sort of see where, oh, the prices switch right at this particular street. So I've not specialized for that reason. Now that I've gotten to be bigger, now that I have a team, I have specialized kind of almost more accidentally. There are areas where once I got a lot of clients in a particular range, then they referred their friends and they referred their friends. So I'd say a majority of my business, a majority is 500 to a million with a, a fair amount of that sitting in the six to 850 range. I do still a lot of stuff between 200 and 400 though because I do CrossFit and a lot of the younger people that do that are first time home buyers. So we find them a lot of uh, places kind of in a similar area to get that price point. And then I do a lot of investment properties from my investors that started with me eight, nine years ago when I started. They're kind of moving up in their range. And so I, as you already know, I don't get to sleep a ton. I don't get to go to sleep too early because I'm on the computer learning this stuff and figuring it out. So, But as time has gone on, I think my specialty has really become 500 to a million. And I'm probably 60% residential now versus 40% investment, maybe 70, 70, 30. And then I'd say this whole area within three miles of Cherry Creek, the center of town, is where a majority of my 60% of properties are. But so you've, gone, just, you've gone as far as Pueblo, which is two and a half hours away. Yeah, we did a great $2 million, two, $2 million deals down there. And I actually have another one coming up down in Pueblo that's about $2.2 million, a 30-unit property. Um, and it's great that you're not yeah. like some people just go okay, I'm, I'm just going to focus on this one neighborhood I'm yes. going to farm this neighborhood and I better make it work and I think that's where some people some real estate agents or any business will fall down because you pigeon yourself, pigeonhole yourself too yeah. much where you don't want to be everything to everybody right and that's what I'm working on over the years is not being everything to everyone but again that's why we have a team now I think that's where it's really working well like you are specializing in investments. Yessie does a different type of properties. Lace has grown up in Arvada and she's got a really great feel for Arvada. So everybody's got a different sort of specialty, subspecialty now where we can rely more on each other. So that is the benefit of the team. And to your other point, if I just focus on Mayfair where we live and where I know I've been in almost every house and rented or owned many of them myself as well, um, if I just focused on that area, that's great if you want to sell your house in Mayfair, where it's more beneficial if you want to sell your house in Mayfair if I've got a little more knowledge of the whole entire rest of the city because you're probably not moving from Mayfair to a house up the street. You could be, but more often than you, not... You have. <laughs> I have, <laughs> but more people than most people are going to say, hey, I'm leaving Mayfair because I'm moving to Lakewood or I got a job in off of Bellevue so I want to move to DTC or I want to live in the suburbs or whatever it is so me having a diversity and a team I think really helps with that again I have a, an area that I'm really really good at and the, and the team and my ability to research sort of makes me really good at at more so you've actually just led me on then to uh, really? the team question so well done on that um, you know you run a team um, you know who is it what is it and how does it function um, 
We've got Charlie, who moved here from Iowa a couple years ago. Lace, Desiree, Yessi, you are doing investments. Mike, who's coughing in the background, is doing a lot of our social media. Uh, Cami, my stepmom, is um, uh, working on a lot of our marketing pieces. And then Jasmine, my daughterish and uh, a sidekick and assistant and twin, uh, Jasmine really does all of it. Jasmine has been by my side since she was five years old, so for 17 years and for the last two or three years has been working on our team. So Jasmine is sort of, she any one of those things I mentioned, Jasmine can do. And that's, that's the Abbey Collection, that's the team name. That's the, the, Abbey, Cal yeah. the Abbey Collection. So we want to throw that out there. Yep, yeah. Um, well, I think that's, it's a credit to yourself because you want to invite other people onto your team who you think are worthwhile in this market, who are going to go out and actually hustle, be aggressive, yep. you know, be market leaders. Like you encourage them constantly to go out and learn about neighborhoods. Yes. Whether they're looking for clients, they're servicing clients at the moment, they want to get referral clients. It's that education point and that being like a real estate resource, you know, for everybody out there. Yeah. Not just going, I'm just going to tell my clients this. You know, you want to expand that view and really be, I'll be a resource for anybody. I'm not trying to sell your house. Yeah. Like whether you want to buy a house today, tomorrow. Two years from now. Six years. Like yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, and that's what's great about you is like, you're not worried about they're going to go somewhere else. And if they do, good for them. Yeah. You know, but they're not going to get the ed education. They're not going to get the market knowledge that you have. And that you're trying to put that onto other people who are new into the market or they've been for here for a year or five years. Yeah. But they need that added experience that you bring. And even today, you know, you explained to Yessie and to one of the team members, you know, how to appropriately price a condo. Like, you know, if, if those experiences you've gained through all your years, you're pushing down to somebody else. Yeah. You know, so they can be more knowledgeable. They can increase their, you know, their commissions and they can increase like their knowledge and experience and expertise to their, their clients base. And that all helps build a better team, a better functioning team. That's that collaboration that I think really aids what you've led you know, moving forward. Well, and I think it helps, um, it helps our client base as well because I can't necessarily be everywhere at the exact same time. But if somebody wants to see something at the last second that pops up and things in this market move quickly, so if something comes up, you gotta move. If I maybe am at a closing or something where I can't be there, somebody on the team can go there and they may not yet have the, the full knowledge or experience that I have, but I tell you what, as you know, we come in and we sit down, we have training sessions about something almost every day, whether it's you teaching about investments, or we will go out and preview different neighborhoods and talk about things, or we'll go out and preview houses that maybe need to flip and decide what, what types of things are gonna add value to that house and then what it can sell for in the future to really help the team see the entire spectrum. So I think like a perfect example was yesterday. Yeah. Like Absolute example, you're on uh, a TV show, so you had to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to be there for a TV show. Uh, I took a couple of agents out to see a couple of flips. One was a high-end flip, um, one was more of a buy and hold. Yeah. Um, you know, you were having lunch, you know, with a potential investor, a potential client. Then you had to go and preview an off-market investment property, but you also had to be in Boulder, which is 45 minutes away at the same time. Right. So I think, you know, and... You sent Noah, which is great. You know, he had to go to Boulder, but he was also there in the morning because you weren't available to go through the pre-closing walkthrough. You know, so that aids to, the client's not always gonna see you, you know, but you're overseeing every single deal that you have. Yeah, so for sure I'm overseeing everything. And Noah puts himself, Noah's my 
personal assistant. So while he's on the team, he's really, the team is separate. Noah's really working on my transactions. Um, but he was able to go up and show that. So then he came back, gave me a full report on what he found there, took videos. We went through that and went through the comps together. Uh, you were off showing the flips, put together a spreadsheet on that. And then I had three of the agents with me when we went in the afternoon. We went and looked at the off-market investment property, and we went through the numbers one by one and how either our clients or future clients could make money off of that and what still needed to be done and what we needed to worry about with the zoning. So, yeah, I'd say yesterday we had all eight, nine of us working on probably six or seven different deals. And at the end of the day, then I sat there for two or three hours last night and pulled all the information together that we had gathered from all of them and we sort of made decisions for our clients on which ones we would pursue and which ones we would let go. And sadly for yesterday, all but one was one we were probably going to let go. Well, think, but that's good though. Yeah. Like, you, know, you can't just be throwing out just any property to any client. You have to do due diligence. You have to assess the risk if it's, if it's an investment property. You have to go through the residential processes as well. Like you have to go through the comps. Is this a good deal? Like exactly what you said earlier, what's their criteria? What do they want in a house? And if it doesn't match that criteria, if it doesn't match that criteria don't show the client right. that house. It's a waste of time for everybody involved. Send someone out on the team, they can go see it, and we can come back and say, no, you're absolutely not going to like that. A lot of times they won't listen at first, um, but after two or three times where they go, oh, you already told us we weren't going to like that, then they start to listen. And, and we're okay with that. We want everybody to feel comfortable wherever they are in the process. And, and again, with investments, my favorite part is when people get into investments, they get very excited. They're constantly sending me houses. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. I think this is a good one. And I, I say no much, much more often than I say yes. Because again, if I'm helping you build an investment portfolio, you need to be making money off that or you're not coming back to me for your next property and your next property or you're not sending your friends my way. So I'm pretty strict and pretty conservative on what those numbers should look like. So uh, just because you think certain investment property is good doesn't mean, and again, you're the boss as a client, you get to do whatever you want, but this is something we do, like I said yesterday, we were out at six or eight different houses. So this is what we do all day, every day. I want you to be in a good property. So we are going to now analyze it. And, and that obviously leads into referrals. Oh, yeah. You know, That's where all of our business sphere comes of influence from. And all that. I think I've maybe ever gotten one deal off Zillow, one off a Remax referral, which then, by the way, came back two or three times, each of them. Um, so those worked, so they became then referral sources. But everybody else is a friend or a friend of a friend. So, this is, so we've got uh, two more questions. Um, Relationships and connections, what does that mean to you? I don't know, everything really. I mean, that's, that's who I am as a person and that's how I run my business. So I think as a person, what's most important to me are the close relationships in my life. And it's the same thing with business. I, a lot of times when we're talking about the houses, I'm like, we're not going to spend that amount of money on this and we're not doing that and blah, blah, blah. And then I remember it's not my money. But, um, <laughs> but, but I guess the good part of that is that it feels like it is. I have a close relationship with my clients. They are people that I care about as people. Um, and while I really know it's not my money, like I really do take it personally. Like this is, you know, I want to make sure that we collectively you with your money are getting a good deal on the property so that's where I think the relationship comes in I want to make sure that it's as good of a deal for you as it would be for if we're selling it to my mom or sister or daughter 
all of whom have happened to buy a house in the last month or two. I think there's uh, those connections as well. You know, I obviously hear you on the phone a fair amount, and every time you, you're going to write an offer, put an offer in, speak to an agent about a certain house, you know, certain whatever aspect it is about that house, your name's out there. They know you. They know that you know you're a very trusted person in the real estate world. That you know you you will get to closing if you say you get to closing. Yes. You know, I think that you know obviously you're strong you know, contract negotiation skills, but more times that or not, you'll call an agent. They're like, oh, hey, Laurie, how you doing? You know, they know you. So there's, yeah. there's that trust, that's connection. There's a, that, you know, it's not a, a deep-rooted relationship there, but they've heard about you. They've heard the deals you've done. You know, they, they know you about the Denver scene. Obviously, if they live anywhere near Cherry Creek, they've probably seen you. <laughs> or they go to about three different lunch spots in, in uh, Cherry Creek. But I think, you know, it's that, it's that trust in those connections. Yeah, you bring up, I was thinking of the trust and the connections and the relationships of like personally me or me with my clients, but you do make a really good point that I'd forgotten about. It's the connections and relationships with other agents that help us in many ways. Sometimes people will bring a deal to us because we've done a deal before and they know what we like. They'll bring a deal to us that they would bring, that would do a lot, they would do a lot better if they had put it on the open market, but they know we're going to make it an easy, smooth transaction. They know we know how to solve problems. We know how to get to closing. So I think our relationship um, with other agents is, is huge for me. So while my job is to represent our clients and make sure that their interests are being served, a lot of times their interests are served with a level of cooperation, knowing that we're all trying to get to the end result, the same end result. And so yes, the relationships with the other agents have gotten us many, many, many deals, uh, especially in a multiple bid situation. Having a good relationship and a good reputation and a connection with a lot of people helps our clients in the long run. Plus you make it fun. It's never boring. If you ever do a deal with Lori, it is never boring. Not in a bad way. She'll make it fun. Well, it's a stressful process, so I want to keep it... The things that are serious, you know, I can take seriously, but the things that are not serious, you know, we need to add some levity because it, it's, it's generally half a million or a million dollars out of people's pockets. Um, it's something they're going to be doing for the next 30 years. It's a very stressful, panicking situation. Lending now versus the days when it was, uh, when we were in the bubble, lending now is a very, very strict process. So my as, clients... As, will, it, as it should do. Yeah, exactly. So my clients joke sometimes that they have to uh, send DNA samples from their nails and things like that because it's such a strenuous process. So why not add a little bit of levity and, and keep it light and have fun when we're looking at houses and things like that. So yeah, try to take the things seriously that need to be serious and the rest of it, um, the rest of it, let's not stress too much. As long as you have a wine over lunch, then who cares, eh? Exactly. And then just, just to finish up, um, any agents out there, any newer agents, um, what's your top three pieces of advice from your experiences in life that you can transfer to them in today's Denver or hopefully other people listening from around the country, like what's your top three pieces of advice? Number one, number one, this is something I, I say all the time and I even have to say it in my own head sometimes. The biggest piece of advice is make every decision for your clients as if you've got a million dollars sitting in your checking account. Money is not an object. When you make the decision for your client, you need to make the right decision for the right reasons. And I think when people are newer, it gets a little bit stressful financially because it can go a lot of times between deals. And so I really caution people that if they want to be in this for 30, 40 years, the long haul, they need to make every decision without 
their own finances involved. And again, of course, that's common sense, but sometimes harder to do when you do have a bill to pay and you've got a bad inspection that came back and you're tempted to say, oh, that's not a big deal when it is a big deal. If it is a big deal, act as if you've got a million dollars in the bank, money's no object, and we need to say it's a big deal and either they need to fix it or we need to get out of this deal, period. And then that may not serve you next week or the week after, but it is gonna serve you and your clients for the next 10 years. So my biggest piece of advice is always do the right things for the right reasons. Um, second to that is know your stuff, please. Please know what you're talking about. It is too, it is in your clients and your own, but especially your clients' best interest for you to have a deep knowledge about the market, the price per square foot, what happens in the inspection process, the process from beginning to end. Your job is to protect your clients, protect their investment, protect their money. And so don't even go out there if you don't know what you're doing. Get a mentor, study, go out and do market research. Even don't even waste your time doing an open house if you don't know every single thing about that area. So there is so much knowledge available at our fingertips. Please take the time to learn it, watch podcasts, uh, watch YouTube, read your books, study the MLS and know what you're doing. Again, it doesn't hurt you, it only helps you, but mostly it helps your, hurts your client. And three, what is a third piece of advice? I mean, hey, if you know everything and you make every decision for the right reason, what else? Oh, I guess just, as I said in my um, speech I gave at Remax that one time, don't be an asshole, right? That's my biggest piece of advice. Be nice to other agents. Be nice to your clients. Be a good person. It's really not that hard. So, I think that, Laurie, I think that's great. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, personally, I think that's, that's the great first podcast that you know you probably envisioned it would be. Um, you know, you've given some great advice. You know, some great mentorship to people out there. Some actionable advice. I think that's huge. Like people can actually go out and go, I can do this. You know, but I need to learn more. I need to put myself out there more. Like social media today and any social platform is massive promoting yourself. But if you don't do it the right way, you're going to be left behind. And I think that shows you up as not the expert. You know, almost yep. like a little bit fraud-like. You know, you have to be the expert. Yep. And there's so much knowledge that you, is out there. You just have to go and get it. You have to be willing to do the work. You know, it's the same in any, any life you do, any career you do. If you're willing to do the work, the work yep. will then pay off in the long term. Yep. In this career, as all others, work equals money. All right. Well, thank you for all of that. I appreciate it. That was lots of fun for our first time. Thanks, Laurie. Woohoo! <laughs>